0: The 2015 NFL season is getting underway this week. The Jacksonville Jaguars thinking about 2030. Owner Shad Khan hoping to extend his team's contract to play a regular season game in London each year through then. The London home game accounts for 15% of the team's local revenue. Though the NFL recently signed a 10-year deal to play games at English Premier League club Tottenham Hotspur's new stadium, Khan said he'd prefer to continue to play games at Wembley Stadium. We'll take an in-depth look at the NFL International's plan next week, as we talk with league executive Mark Waller. Seven hundred fifty million dollars—that's how much the current owners of the NHL's Pittsburgh Penguins want for the team, according to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. They could accept less money if a potential buyer is willing to forego development rights on the old Civic Arena site. If the Penguins get their asking price, it will be the most paid for a U.S.-based NHL franchise more than doubling the previous high of $320 million that was paid for the Devils in 2013. This clearly may be the right time for the sale of NHL franchises. A $500 million expansion announcement expected soon. Record revenues, labor peace, enlightened management. The proof will be if and when an actual sale is done and a price is announced. And the NBA's Cleveland Cavaliers are trying to improve the experience of watching a sporting event from the stands. The team is looking to expand its in-seat concession ordering options at Quicken Loans Arena through a partnership with a local app company. During a 22-game trial run last season, customers using the Tap Into app spent an average of $32 per arena visit. Fans who used the app received their orders in an average of fewer than six minutes, and the technology was used by 25% of the 5,000 potential customers. Another example of combating decouching, the perilous choice between first-class high-tech home and mobile media versus the new stadium arena experience. Kudos to the Cavaliers for taking this issue on directly. Now on to the global sporting event of the upcoming weekend, tennis is U.S. Open. I sat down with Chief Revenue Officer Lou Shear. It is a commentary on how important you are in this organization that you're not the COO or the C whatever, but you're the Chief Revenue Officer. That's a, that's a big deal,
1: obviously. It, it's it's a big deal. It's a great it's a great position, a great opportunity. I had wanted Chief Spending Officer. That seemed like a lot more fun. Unfortunately, uh, we didn't have a spot. So uh,
0: Chief Spending Officer means more revenue because you got to spend more to make more, right? Yeah, you make that well, argument. Fun. Hopefully. Yeah. Describe the brand of the U.S. Open. Elevator speech, quick kind of description of what you think the brand means.
1: Yeah, you know, we think we are, we are the quintessential sports and entertainment event. It is a, a, a festival with tennis at the hub. Um, we're the largest annually attended sporting event in the world. Um, and we take great, great care in programming the event around our tennis. It's great for casual fans.
0: It's incredible for avid fans. Let's talk about the cottage industry called Serena Williams. Yeah. And we're in the middle of the tournament, who knows how she's going to end sure. up. But as far as the slams are concerned, statistically, what kind of bump do you think she has, anecdotally and statistically, on the tournament this year?
1: Yeah, you know, there's, there's no question that, that there is an excitement and a buzz around this event this year that we've not experienced before. And we attribute that directly to Katrina. But it's hard to, 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 to quantify. Um, most of our uh, ticket sales are sold well before uh, the draws are even set up, let alone announcing who might, who might play. Um, our fans come back year after year after year. Um, so from a monetary standpoint, it's, it's very tough for us to quantify what the impact has been. But, but the buzz, the energy, the press coverage, uh, and the, the, the expansiveness of that is, is certainly, certainly real.
0: Renewal rate on an annual basis? Oh, for our uh, for your ticket holders? Yeah. Oh, in, in, in the 90s. So Serena's important, but you've got a pretty solid foundation no matter we what. We feel
1: great about what we have, but but at the end of the day, it was built on the athletes, and, and so she's
0: absolutely important. Let's run your balance sheet, but anecdotally. So yeah. so the bottom line, we've seen published numbers of about $250 million in annual revenue. That's from some of the industry Publications is that is that accurate? Low? High? No, those are
1: those are in the ballpark numbers. Where we continue to grow our business, it grows every year, thankfully, and, and we're investing heavily to to set ourselves up to grow some more.
0: So, just one of the investments. We'll get back to it a little yep. later. Five hundred fifty million for the renovation and Arthur Ashe. Uh,
1: Five hundred fifty million for the renovation for the, for the of the National Center. Tennis Center. Right. Uh, the roof over Ashe is a part of that. But there, we will be building a new Louis Armstrong Stadium. There's an overall grounds beautification that will happen as well. And we're building a new grandstand court that will hold 8,000
0: fans. So you really are the chief spending officer. Yeah. <laughs> but the yeah. revenues are yeah, there yeah. as well. And on the revenue side, let's talk about TV. Two, 200 countries. Um, 80 million a year f- or so from, from ESPN as well? Uh, sure, the, the, right, in,
1: in that range. Um, but unlike many domestic sporting events, the international piece uh, really differentiates tennis and the U.S. Open from, from most of the sports we're familiar with here, right? tennis's popularity around the world uh, is, is, is tremendous, right? It's the second or third most popular sport in almost any region of the world, and so those 200 countries um,
0: contribute significant viewership. How do you deal with the television concerns of tennis where you know that an NFL game is going to last three hours and eight yeah. minutes and, and tennis you just don't know what the scheduling is like those are the vagarities of the yeah. industry but but how do they come home to roost here
1: no you know um on the one hand, it's part of what makes tennis exciting. When those matches get tight and they go long, it, it's incredibly compelling. Uh, it puts a big responsibility on our broadcast partners to, to be set up from a schedule standpoint to be able to accommodate that sort of flexibility. Uh, ESPN, our, our, our new exclusive broadcast partner going forward right now, uh, made that commitment to us. We are going to carry matches to conclusion. We're thrilled with that, um, and uh, and we're excited that that they're really well equipped to be able to bring our our our, our event to avid
0: sports fans. And that's one of the key components of, uh, I guess you call it cable. It's not really cable that much anymore, but you don't have to worry about the nightly news.
1: Yeah, right. And and we're on a sports network that right. wants sports programming, so we're not up against entertainment you know shows that may be kicking in late at night those sorts of things uh and we also need a home you know at at 11 and a.m in the morning all the way up until you know 12 midnight um and and they're well equipped to be able to do that
0: a prolific developer of mobile uh usopen.org your, yeah your apps What's the future of it? Tell me where it is today, and where's it, where's it going? You know,
1: we have a fantastic partnership with IBM, uh, mm-hmm. and they're able to bring resources to an organization like ours that we could never uh, fully fund or, 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 or maintain on our own. As a result, we've got a very robust digital platform, right? There's, there's live streaming. We've got mobile apps. Over a million downloads last year. It'll be interesting. That only seems to be up this year. Our web traffic is great. We continue to innovate in that space, and, and they're incredibly helpful. Uh, to our team in in doing that. It's important. Fans are now consuming, as we know, uh, sports content in all sorts of forms and we're only seeing uh, mobile becoming more and more important, even for ticket sales.
0: There's something unique about tennis that a screen doesn't really matter whether it's hooked to a television or not. It's becoming more mobile. People want to get the information. it's becoming
1: more mobile. I think what's unique about tennis is we may have 11 or 17 matches happening simultaneously and now I have the ability to flip from one to the other. I think if I'm focused on a match, I, I want the biggest screen I can I can possibly find. Uh, but at the same time, it's nice to be able to track what's happening on, on 11 other
0: televised courts. Speaking of those courts simultaneously, does the Chief Spending slash Chief Revenue yeah. Officer identify which players go to which courts at which time? No, or is that out of your, you know,
1: I look on with great curiosity. <laughs> we want to make sure we're delivering for our fans, but our Tournament Director is very uh, knowledgeable of, of, of you know, who needs to be where and, and,
0: and what our fans want to see. Let's talk about the fans for a second. Mm-hmm. Every league invents and talks about a new term, decouching. Uh, You've got to get the people off the seats and yeah. into the yeah. stadium. You've only got a limited capacity here, yeah. but you set attendance records. Yes. How do you deal with that issue?
1: You know, it, it, it certainly is a real issue. It's one we address annually in our planning. Um, at the same time, I will tell you, I think we've been insulated a bit more than other sports from that. Our typical fans spend seven hours here on-site at the National Tennis Center. Only half of that time is spent watching tennis. So it's it's a, very unu, you know, it's a very unusual sports experience. It really is a festival grounds. We program the grounds. Shopping, dining, entertainment. Tennis is a part of it, but we want folks to be able to, to come out here and enjoy the day. And I think that's a big part of, of our success, engaging
0: with sponsor exhibits as well. Interesting interface. So with that ratio, Every minute he's not, she's not watching tennis, he or she is buying something. So get him out of the, we, get him out. We, we
1: hope they're enjoying the <laughs> ground. We certainly want them watching tennis as well,
0: yes. One other issue regarding the, no controversy, but it was a 14-day event, 15 yes. days then. You dabbled with a Monday men's yeah. final. You're now yeah, back sure. to Sunday. Uh, NFL push back a little bit. Uh, don't want to compete no. with them. Do want to compete with them? What are the considerations that the final will now be back on Sunday?
1: Yeah, no, you know there are a number of considerations, but but first and foremost, we had to give the men a day of rest between right the semi-final and the final the game has gotten so physical you can have four five-hour matches yeah. uh and it was critical that we, we we set ourselves up to provide that day of rest that's why we went saturday sunday or excuse me saturday monday now with with a new broadcast agreement we're able to sort of line up our schedule in a more traditional Grand Slam format, where the men's semis will be Friday, the women's final Saturday, the men's final on Sunday. We've always been up against the NFL. Either the women's final went up against the NFL, or our history was always we were the four o'clock, you know, with an NFL lead-in. So, you know, we're not we're not concerned about that. We like being in the sports environment, uh, and we've had
0: great great numbers. Let's talk about the facility. The uh, this is the last open without a complete roof, although the. Roof uh, infrastructure is up. Talk about the economic calculation of how a $100 million expenditure and the debt service associated with that actually increases revenue. Well, I- the
1: interesting thing about the roof, it's one of the largest expenses in our $550 million transformation of the National Tennis Center, and it contributes almost nothing in terms of incremental revenue. Mm. Um, we're not going to sell another seat as a result. Um, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't, our TV broadcast agreements are locked in place for, for many, many years. But what it does do is it, it allows us to, to do right by players. It allows us to do right by fans so that they know when they come out they're going to be able to see tennis. Uh, One of the frustrations being an outdoor sport, particularly with multiple courts, is if you do get weather, uh, people can sit around for hours not knowing we're trying to get them on, and now we eliminate all that. It's just that much greater of a fan experience. But quite honestly, it's not not a,
0: a revenue enhancer for us. Image, fan amenity over revenue. In the roof context,
1: and uh, I, I think I think fan enhancement, player enhancement, uh,
0: first and foremost. Yeah, let's talk about that. Those three mm-hmm. broadly, uh, future improvements. Uh, is there a? Do you consciously look at a fan amenity bucket? A revenue generator bucket, an image enhancement bucket and make sure it checks all three or are there certain things that are weighted toward any you, one? You'd love it if it checked all three. Rarely does that
1: happen. Yeah. And and then we get uh, involved in, in lots of discussions about what do we need to do to, to move all of those things forward as best we can with the resources that, uh, that we have. So, um, you know, fan uh, enhancements and, and the fan experience is always paramount. We also want to make sure our players are able to perform here at the optimum level, uh, and and revenues important. I won't. You know, it's obviously it's in my title, um, but uh, at the end of the day, we want to put on a great experience, and we think,
0: you know, the revenues will follow. So the the players. Let's go to that. Forty two million or so prize money up ten percent last year. The big issue, as I've seen published reports, fifty million guaranteed to the yep. players' prize money by two thousand seventeen and beyond. Uh, We have to do that to pay for the cost of living in New York, but the more important issue is you've made major Pioneering strides relative to players and uh, understanding how valuable they are. Rewarding.
1: Yeah, no, it, it, you know this this event doesn't happen without the players. We want the players here. We want them to uh, to be successful. Uh, not just the the champions. We want first round players, second round players, uh, also to 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 be able to benefit monetarily as as we do. We think we've taken some big strides there, as have our Grand Slam brethren. Um, and uh, but what it's allowed us to do is to continue to go forward and and build on. Build on a great event.
0: So this is the 40-whatever-year anniversary of the equal prize money in yeah, 1973.
1: 1973, proud, 74, yeah. Proud of that. Yes, very proud. Yeah. Um, you know, tennis, I think, has achieved a level of gender parity yeah. for a major sport that, that no one else has, has been able to achieve. Uh, in many respects, it's a, it's a tribute to the impact that Billie Jean King had on our sport going back into the 70s and even today. Um, participation splits right down the middle. Uh, prize money, as, as you talked about, has been equal since 1974. TV viewership splits down the middle. We're very proud of the fact that that women professionally have been as successful as the men have. Serena will, will draw a TV audience that's comparable to what the best men will do, and, and I believe seven or eight of the top ten highest earning athletes,
0: female athletes, are all tennis players. Segway to the USTA. Yeah. OZ event, revenue very important in redoing this facility on a regular basis, but also enhancing the growth of tennis, so talk about that.
1: Yeah, so, you know, we are a non-profit, and we are a mission-driven organization. Our our goal is to grow participation. It's to to grow the game and ensure that the game looks like America from a demographic standpoint. Uh, This event helps fund a national network, organization network that is focused on growing participation, not because we're invested in the sale of rackets or the sale of courts or construction of courts, sale of balls. It's out of a belief that that sports are a great way to improve the quality of someone's life and by extension, the quality of life in in the country and tennis as a dual gender sport that can be played from six to 96 is sort of uniquely suited to, to really benefit the, the population, and, and that's that's why we exist.
0: I know you probably would say one is hand-in-hand to hand the other. Maybe not. Polls are saying, a couple of polls we've seen, mm-hmm. saying the one of the primary uh, perceptions would be that it's important to uh, get more kids and more people to play, and then the other issue is the American men are lagging behind, maybe the American women are lagging behind, there aren't as many sure. performing in yep. majors, how do you reconcile it? You know,
1: you? There, there, there are a number of things sort of going on there. First, I think from a participation standpoint, as a country, we're suffering from uh, a, a crisis of, of, of childhood inactivity and and, and declines in, in sports participation, in many cases double digits. Concussions are a part of that, inactivity, video games, whatever, yeah. whatever you want that to be, uh, stressful lives uh, in busy times, uh, tennis over the past decade has actually grown uh, over 40 percent. So we're very proud of the fact that people are, are, are playing and we're continuing to grow participation, albeit off a smaller base than some of the the bigger, more established uh, more established sports. Um, that pipeline we think is essential to developing the next generation of champions, right? The more folks that you get in there at the junior level, the, the better the opportunity that some will bubble up to the top. We invest heavily um, in, in a player development program run by Martin Blackman uh, that exists to yeah. identify top, top players and provide resources and support, coaching, monetary, whatever the case may be, to help boost them and their performance. And, and you know, we've, we've had a bit of a, a down cycle on, on the men's side for, for a number of years, but we're starting to see that turn around now with a new crop of 16-, 17-, 18-year-old American players. And we've got more women in the top one hundred than any other country, so we're, we're we're feeling good about what what the future looks like. We feel great about what the present is certainly on the women's side with with Serene.
0: And and as far as the future is concerned, again, is it is a lot of it is because we're we're entitled, we're we're fat, we're lazy, we've got other distractions and diversions. I mean, what, what's what, why are eastern Why have Eastern European countries been so prolific? I think recently? you
1: could look at almost any sport. Look at the NBA, and yeah. you see the influx of athletes. Uh, you know, years ago, I think. The U.S. had a had a real gap um, in leadership position in terms of facilities, access to coaching, training. We were just a more modern, sophisticated nation as it related to sports, and in some cases. Kids that weren't necessarily the best athletes could get coached up to a point that they could be, yeah. you know, uh, world, you know, top-level sort of competitors in, in a variety of sports. What you've seen now is is the rest of the world has caught up, and you've got many of the best athletes in different countries choosing to play soccer, choosing to play basketball, and choosing to play tennis. Again, it's one of the most popular sports outside. So you've got the best athletes in those countries gravitating towards tennis, uh and we're competing with many more sports in the in the US. Uh and again, many of them come over here and train in private academies and then go back. So that developmental gap has certainly closed and, and that's no different than what you've seen in, in most of the other
0: major sports. We started with the brand, let's close with the brand. Yeah. Uh seven hundred million dollars in economic impact and economic impact studies can say anything to yes. anybody, but this is way above anything that anybody has seen in any other sport. So talk a little bit about the methodology and the conclusion.
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, economic impact studies are are interesting. You try to capture as much as you can. There's there's direct expenditures. Um, you know, we hire folks, 7,000 folks for this tournament to help us staff this tournament, and that's direct. But uh, we have tourists that come in from around the world, and they come and they stay in New York City for for extended stays, and, and that's clearly, clearly important. More than a quarter of the uh, room nights in, in New York are associated with uh, with this tournament when it's going on. They're spending on merch, they're spending our sponsors, advertise. There are a lot of factors that go into that, but the reality is it's a 14-day event as opposed to a one-day, one-off sporting event. It is an event that attracts people from around the world. We draw over 700,000 fans every year, so to put that in context, that's an NBA season, that's an NHL season, that's an NFL season for most teams, home season for most teams. We do it in a concentrated window of time uh, and we have the benefit of doing it in New York every year. We don't move from location to location around the country each year, we can build permanent facilities and
0: and grow them. What's the tennis industry in general and the U.S. Open in particular look like five years from now? You know, I, I think we're growing. Uh, you know, the tennis industry
1: is, is in the U.S. is north of $5 billion, um, and it has been stable, and, and we're starting to see participation growth, particularly amongst you. Uh, here with what we're doing to transform the venue, the investments that we're making today set us up for a whole new generation. So we're, we're, we're very bullish
0: on the future. Chief Revenue Officer, Chief Spending yeah. Officer, Chief Advocate. Thank you. It was wonderful. Pre- been my it my pleasure. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. I'm Rick Harrow. The producer of the show is Alex Cohen. Audio producer, Adam Wieson. Technical assistance provided by Jamie Weber, Tanner Simpkins, and Carlos Waddick. The executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Colarusso.